You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, thank you for this uh, <clears throat> beautiful morning that you give us. And as uh, we come to worship you and study of your word, we pray for your blessing. We pray that uh, you would open our minds and guide us by your Holy Spirit. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so today we begin, uh, I think it's five-part series on uh, on the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, we're going to have three um, lessons uh, early in January, and then I, th- I think two later around April. So we won't finish in this early part of the year, um, but rather later April and May. Uh, the, so the approach that I'm taking for for teaching this class is uh, I'm teaching it as if I were teaching Bison students uh, who are not uh, trying to get the MDiv program, uh, but who are there to get a more general program. So uh, it's not as technical, but I hope it's, uh, it goes deep enough to stimulate your thinking and spiritual reflection and so on. So, uh, we can think together uh, as we look at at the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, By way of introduction, let's talk a little bit about uh, the author, uh, Luke Acts. Remember, uh, one of the reasons I have the hyphenated expression, Luke Acts, is because it is agreed by most people that... uh, the same author is behind both the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Hence the hyphen Luke-Acts. I think it's important to know who wrote uh, a work. Uh, We can learn a lot uh, from that. Uh, But I think it's especially important in the uh, Gospels and in the Acts of the Apostles because we're dealing with... uh, documents that make a claim of eyewitness testimony. So when you read Acts, uh, the author is narrating, uh, reporting what he saw or what he heard others uh, say or what those others saw and reported to him. Uh, So it's important to know that. The question becomes then, uh, where in the world did we get the idea that the author of Acts is a person by the name of Luke? Well, uh, if if you look at your Bibles, uh, for example, you, you will see that, at least my Bible that I have here, an English Bible, it just says Acts on the top. Maybe yours says the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I doubt that any of your Bibles says uh, Acts of Luke maybe. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the fact of the matter is that we don't have an original document. In fact, we don't have any original documents of the New Testament. So if you want to ask, okay, where is the very first gospel of Matthew? You know, the one that Matthew himself wrote. Isn't that somewhere in Jerusalem or the Vatican or whatever? No, we don't have uh, the the, the, original Autographs, as they're called. We don't have the original, but we have pretty close to the originals. Uh, 
and uh, no one is going is having a panic attack that uh, that we're only a couple of centuries uh, ahead in that. Uh, but where do we get the name Luke for the Acts of the Apostles? Well, uh, first of all, uh, let me talk about the traditional view. The traditional view, of course, is that uh, Luke, a companion of Paul and the Apostles, was the author of Acts of the Apostles, of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and by way of uh, justification for that view, uh, there are many reasons, but uh, let me give you three there to get us thinking. Uh, Okay, the first place where the gospel, the third gospel, the gospel that we call the gospel of Luke, and the name Luke, the first time we find those two together, okay, is in a papyrus, so an ancient, uh, very old piece of paper, of Egyptian paper, if you will, it came from the papyrus plant, uh, it's actually now at the, part of the, the typo there should be Vatican City, not Vatical City. I don't know what Vatical City is. <laughs> Who knows what that is? But I, I mean Vatican City. That's where it is now. But there you have uh, this uh, papyrus that has fragments of the Gospel of Luke, and after that, fragments of the Gospel of John. So scholars think that originally this was a thicker papyrus, with all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only Luke and John survive. Well, uh, when uh, when the Gospel of John begins, it's uh, right before it, right before the heading that says uh, the Gospel of John, you have the Gospel of Luke right before it. And right at the end, right before starting the Gospel of John, it says the following phrase. It's in Greek and then... Uh, Transliterated and then uh, translated to English, it says "kata lukan," according to Luke. So it's saying the gospel that was just written, that you just read and finished, that gospel was "kata lukan," according to Luke. Doesn't say anything else. Uh, and that papyrus is dated more or less between 175 and 225. AD. All the dates, of course, here will be AD, dealing with the New Testament. Uh, so that is the earliest document that we have that links an individual by the name of Luke and a gospel uh, that we have come to call the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and then from that, we have to go to church tradition. Any questions about this? The, the earliest uh, appearance of a linkage between Luke, whoever that is, we have to fill that in, and the third gospel, and potentially the sequel to the third gospel, the Acts of the Apostles. Any questions about this? Okay, let's move on then. Now we move to uh, the church fathers. Uh, the earliest uh, father to identify Luke as the author of that gospel and the Acts of the Apostles is Saint Irenaeus or Irenaeus, who lived uh, around 180 AD. He was a bishop of Lyon in south of France, but had connections all over the empire, including Rome. And there in, 
in uh, numerous parts of his book called Against Heresies, he speaks about each of the evangelists. Uh, Matthew this, Mark this. And he speaks about the evangelist Luke. And he says that Luke was the author of the third gospel, as well as the Acts of the Apostles. He gives us further uh, biographic information on the shadowy figure of Luke. Tells us that he was a companion of all the apostles, but was primarily a companion of Paul and accompanied him in his missionary journeys and wrote down uh, what we find uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. So there you have the earliest uh, example of someone linking Luke with a gospel and the sequel, the Acts of the Apostles. The question that scholars ask, of course, is how does Irenaeus know? Some have suggested that uh, it is the result of detective work. Irenaeus has read the Pauline epistles and somehow uh, he has uh, landed on Luke as a likely companion of Paul and then has presented that as if it were uh, the common acknowledgement of the early church. That seems unlikely, that seems, unlikely seems a little perverse. Uh, it is more than likely that Irenaeus has tradition that goes back to Rome. He talks about that time and time again, that uh, Luke was the author of Luke and Acts. Uh, a third document that links the person named Luke and the Gospel of Luke and Acts is a fragment from the 3rd to 10th century found again in Rome. Uh, it's called the Moratorium Fragment. Uh, we have a few survivors. It's named like that because of the person who discovered it. Uh, but uh, here we find a number of fragments on uh, commenting on different parts of the Bible. And there is a comment on Luke and on Acts. And we hear that uh, the author of the third gospel was uh, Luke, as the whole church recognizes, uh, and that he was a companion of Paul, a companion of the apostles, and he was an eyewitness of the events that we have uh, narrated and recorded for us in the book of Acts. So you have, you know, fairly strong uh, tradition uh, saying that the same person wrote Luke Acts. In any case, the style and the themes are so similar, it would be hard to, to, uh, to doubt that. The same person wrote it, uh, and this person was an eyewitness that's emphasized. And uh, even though he uh, was with all the apostles, his, his, his uh, teacher, his main teacher was the Apostle Paul. Uh, and then you have other church fathers talking about it. But the problem with that is, well, that's a good thing. You know, we have uh, many people saying, uh, but what you have to be careful is you may have uh, such and such church father say uh, Luke wrote the gospel, the book of Acts, and then you have another one and another one and another one. The question is, are the, are the subsequent uh, people relying on only one source? So that if the source is poison at the bottom, then the rest 
also doesn't count. So you have to be careful. Sometimes I read I read introductory books uh, that are a little too apologetic, and they say there are 25 church fathers who say that Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, great. Uh, are they is the are the twenty five depending upon one, you know? But that's not what we have for the Acts of the Apostles. We actually have uh, witnesses in the different parts of the empire. We have uh, witnesses in uh, uh, Rome, uh, in France, so in Western Europe, uh, so in different parts of the early empire. Any questions? Uh, remember, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts does not uh, announce himself as an author with a name in the way that Paul does, right? So how does, for example, the Book of Romans begin? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Or Peter, Peter, an apostle. Or James, uh, uh an apostle. So you say, does he say apostle or servant of the Lord, something like that? But when you look at the Gospels, bless you. When you look at the Gospels, there is no name in the body of the work. Sure, the name in the original papyrus. I'm sure the name was in a tag. That's how it used to be in ancient libraries. You had a papyrus roll with a tag that would say the name of the author and uh, and the name of the work. Uh, but by the time we get this manuscript, all you have is uh, something short, like according to Luke, and then you get right into the book. And the Gospels, all the Gospels are anonymous. Uh, it doesn't say at the beginning, I, John, wrote this Gospel, or I, Matthew, wrote this Gospel. Okay. However, there is good, uh, strong evidence that... Uh, The the authors that we believe wrote those gospels are the are, uh, we believe that that uh, tradition is genuine and solid and good. Uh, and while that shouldn't be a, a test of faith, you know, I tell my students, uh, you know, would you let if you're in a committee to search for a pastor at your church, and you ask them, uh, do you believe that Mark wrote Mark? And they say no. Should you, you know, should they be your pastor? Are they doubting scripture? No, I don't think they're doubting scripture because it, the scripture doesn't say, <laughs> Mark. But I would want to know, you know, why why do you doubt the tradition? The tradition is not the word of God, of course, but uh, it's important, uh, and it's a chain of Christians that goes way back, and they were just as interested as we are in knowing who wrote what. So, uh, I go for the traditional view. Uh, there are other possibilities out there, but uh, when I look at the evidence, it seems to me that that uh, what we find in Irenaeus, in the Moratorium Fragment, in other places, that the author of the Acts of the Apostles was an individual named Luke, who was a doctor. Uh, by the way, uh, Luke the doctor, is, that, uh, that connection should not be from the vocabulary of use in Acts. I heard some, I've heard people say, when you look at the book of Acts, he uses a lot of medical language, medical imagery. The problem with that is that they did a study of another historian, his name is Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, and he also uses 
medical language, and we know Josephus is not a doctor. It's just that people use language that's medical, and that doesn't make them doctors. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but that's that's the result of the tradition. They call uh, Luke a doctor uh, who took care of Paul and so on. Uh, and who was a companion of Paul and of the other apostles. Any questions about uh, the authorship of Acts, Fluke Acts, to this point? I guess I have a question. Why does it matter? Well, yes. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to B. You're anticipating. That's good. <laughs> Very good. So significance of authorship, uh, you could say, you know, it's in the Bible. It's in our canonical New Testament, um, so is the Word of God, uh, so it shouldn't matter who wrote it. Uh, I sympathize with that a little bit, uh, but let's remember that, that it, it mattered for the early Christians. Okay? Just as we are investigating and researching and trying to find out who wrote what, so also the early church. So if it was important for the early church, it should be important for us, but why? Why? Well, I think uh, probably the main reason is that, if you look at the handout there, uh, B1, is that you have a truth claim in the beginning of the first volume. So remember, the way to read Luke Acts is as the first and the second volume. And what uh, the introduction for the Gospel of Luke also goes for the, uh, for the Acts of the Apostles, even though he has a little... Uh, short introduction again for, for Acts. But if we go to Luke 1 to, to try to answer your question, let's go there real quick, please. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay, I'll read. But if you go to Luke 1, um, very interesting language we find there. So let's read this together. The author says, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things, I'm reading from the today's NIV, which I found outside my door on a chair in my office. I don't know where this Bible came from, uh, <laughs> but it was there, and it's NIV, today's NIV, so it looks good. I've read it. It's pretty, yeah. Uh, so I'm reading from that. Maybe God just dropped it there. Yeah. Uh, Many, says Luke, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now, by the way, to, to begin that way by saying, hey, many people have written about this subject, that is the way that most ancient books began. Okay, so, uh, of the war between the Persians and the Greeks, many people have written about it. Now, I'm going to give you the best account. That's, that's just the way it went. It was a topos in the ancient world. Uh, so Luke begins that way. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So notice the, the uh, first person pronoun, us. So he's saying some of these things have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. 
So what I find there is a truth claim. And the truth claim is I have done investigating. Uh, I myself am an eyewitness. And your faith, Theophilus, is going to be strengthened by the fact that what I am writing to you is something that is from eyewitness account. So I see a truth claim. What I write, I write as an eyewitness. And that should strengthen your faith. So Theophilus would probably would have been a okay. So let, let's back up here and, and ask a, another question. How uh, that will hopefully an, answer your question. Uh, how did people publish books in antiquity? Okay. <laughs> Today it's we we know you know you, you contact a publisher. If you're lucky, you get yours picked out and uh, so on. You hammer out a contract and then it's. Put in a lib in a bookstore in a library, and you go and you buy it. That's well, obviously that's not how it was in the ancient world. The way you publish in the ancient world was when a wealthy person, a patron, uh, would invite a group of friends, usually males, unfortunately, only males, uh, and then the author would read his work. He would read his work, and then copies would be made of that, and that would be to publish the work. So it is likely that Theophilus was a wealthy patron uh, who received the gospel from Luke or heard Luke uh, recite the gospel and then let others make copies of it. So he was surely a Christian uh, who wanted to be strengthened in his faith. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so Luke here is making a truth claim vis-a-vis uh, -vis Theophilus. Uh, what I'm writing to you, look, many people have undertaken to write about this. Uh, I'm going to do it too, and I'm going to do it after research uh, and after being with uh, among among eyewitnesses of the word of uh, of those who preach the word of God. So the importance is that the author is claiming, I was an eyewitness, I saw this, and that leads us to number two in your handout, and that's uh, the little word there, autopsia. Uh, we see that word and we think of, uh, yeah, 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 that it is. But we think more of a, you know, physiological grotesque uh, autopsy. But autopsia in the ancient world referred to uh, how an author collected information in order to publish that information. And uh, autopsia was someone who was there. An, an ancient, an ancient eyewitness. They were to, to meet the uh, to meet the category. That's not the right word, but to meet to meet the uh, yeah. Thank you. The criterion of autopsia. They, you needed to have two things. One, you needed to be a witness yourself. So you're writing about a war. You needed to have been there yourself. That would be one criterion of autopsia. The other criterion would be to, ha to have spoken with someone who was there. So the best was for you to be there. The second best was for you to speak to someone uh, who was there. A lot of the language, we can't get into it here, but a, a lot of the Greek terms that Luke uses here are terms that uh, flag up the convention of autopsia. 
So Luke is claiming, I was an eyewitness, I spoke to eyewitnesses, and you can trust the truthfulness of this account because I was an eyewitness. Does that help a little bit with the with, with the question of why why it matters? You're saying that Luke, because of that introduction, seems a legitimate author who was a legitimate witness, and so linking him to Acts gives Acts more legitimacy. Yes. That you, that's, that's it. That's it. The same author then. Then that's good for us because we have that same kind of yeah. So so the introduction here is valid for both Luke and Acts. Yeah. So again, you have a short introduction in the in Acts where he says, just as I said in the first book, <coughs> recapitulation that was common, but your main statement of how you operate is going to come in your first book. By the way, does that guarantee that what Luke said is true? <laughs> well, that's a matter of faith, right? Uh, I mean, we can do all kinds of uh, apologetic works, archaeology. Archaeology can cut can cut both ways, though. You have to be careful with that. <laughs> so sometimes you, you read something, or, oh, yeah, they discovered this, and then you have someone say, oh, they discovered that the walls of Jericho never existed or something like that. So, uh, so be careful with that, putting too much trust in archaeology. Uh, the only thing the only thing we can do is we can look at the texture of the pa- of the of the material. Does it read like a like a fiction? Does it read like a lie? Are there clear mistakes that he makes and so on? But ultimately, it is a it's it's a it's a faith that that what he says happened happened. So how do I get that faith? Well, the Reformed tradition. Uh, going way back, but uh, especially in uh, John Calvin and others said that the Holy Spirit, as you read the Bible, it, God speaks through the Bible so that when you read the Bible and hear it read, the Holy Spirit works in you so that you come to believe it. And he says that that is the best, the best test, the best proof of the truthfulness of Scripture. Now, there is a subjectivity there, right? You have to feel it. You have to believe it. Uh, but that's how life is. Okay. Uh, let's move then to the kind of book that Acts is. Time flies. Uh, Roman numeral two. What kind of book is Acts? Uh, the question of genre. So, you know, you say, uh, I want to do my devotions or I want to start a study on, on the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, in the Bible, and this is going to strengthen my faith, and so on, and I'm going to learn so much and grow. Uh, but do you know what kind of book you're getting into? Especially when you're dealing with a book that is uh, thousands of years old. Are you equipped to read a book that is this old? Do you know what kind of book this is? So again, this raises the question of genre. Uh, uh, I'm not the first one to talk about genre as contract, two uh, uh, A in your handout, but someone has used the concept of a contract as a nice way to conceptualize genre. Basically, uh, the author says, "I'm going to write this type of book," and you, as the reader, you say, "Okay, I am going to read it as you want it to be read." Okay. It's a contract. Uh, 
Otherwise, there's going to be a disconnect. If you don't know how what the author is intending in writing, in painting, in producing a film, uh, there is going to be disconnect between the two. I don't know if you've ever had the most unpleasant experience of uh, going to uh, see a movie uh, that you think is a particular genre, and uh, you buy your popcorn, your Coke, you sit down and you think, oh, I'm really going to enjoy this uh, this uh, war movie. And then when you sit down, it's a parody. Uh, and at first you're lost. You're saying, wait a minute. Why are they laughing at this moment? They're not supposed, this is to be serious. This is supposed to be serious. Why are they laughing? Am I in the right movie? <laughs> well, there is a disconnect. You thought that the movie was a particular genre when it actually was another genre. And what happens is there's total disconnect. You do not understand each other. Uh, same thing in conversations. You, you crack a joke. You know, the person is looking at you funny. No, I was being sarcastic, you know. Uh, genre, someone has said that genre is essential for communication. If we don't agree on the genre that we're using, either a broad genre at a broad level, such as at a movie theater or uh, a sermon, to the smaller genre, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If we don't agree, if we don't understand the genre that we're using, we are bound to miscommunicate. And so that raises the question, what genre is the book of Acts? What contract is Luke wanting us, wanting us to sign on uh, so that we would be competent readers of his material? Uh, well, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Uh, there are proposals, different propo proposals for the genre of Acts. Uh, the traditional view, and by traditional I mean when you look at uh, ancient Christian writers like Eusebius of Caesarea, he was a very old uh, church historian uh, and others, when they read the book of Acts, they tell us that what Acts is, is a record of the early church. So you want to know what happened in the early church? Here is a canonical record. Notice, by the way, that Acts is the only canonical record uh, of the early church outside of Paul and Peter and so on. So you have the Gospels, right, the four Gospels. Imagine if you didn't have the Acts of the Apostles, and then you jump straight to Paul. You read about Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and Thessalonians, and all that. Wow, you'll be, you'll be kind of lost. But because we have the Acts of the Apostles, and we have Paul preaching in Philippi. Oh, the church of Philippi, yes. Paul preaching at Corinth, yes. So the Acts of the Apostles is sort of in the middle of the, of the, of the canon, uh, <coughs> connecting the Gospels on the one hand, and then the letters of the apostles on the other. Uh, so the traditional view is that Acts is a record of the early church. Okay, fair enough. Uh, can we be more specific? Uh, well, yes. Uh, about, uh, let me see, 1999, uh, a dissertation was written at Harvard. Uh, the lady, her name is, it's a very good book, good book. It turned into a book. It's, uh, Mar Marianne Bonds is her name in which she argued that we should read the book of Acts, the, the genre of Acts is that of an epic. So, what are some examples of epics in the ancient world? Homer's Odyssey. That's it! The Odyssey, the Iliad, the, the most famous books in antiquity, right? 
You couldn't be Greek if you haven't read the Iliad and the Odyssey. You just could not. And for the Romans, the Aeneid, right? So uh, that was supposed to be for the Romans what the Iliad was for the Greeks. Well, this author claims that uh, the best way to read the Acts of the Apostles is as an imitation of the Aeneid of, the Aeneid, uh, of, of uh, first century Rome. Why? Uh, so what she does is she, she brings up a bunch of parallels. As you know, so you have dreams in uh, the Aeneid. You also have dreams in the Acts of the Apostles. You have a hero uh, in the Aeneid. You have a hero in the Acts of the Apostles. You have speeches in the Aeneid. You have, and so on. And she brings up a number of parallels. And then she makes a jump and says, we should therefore reclassify the Acts of the Apostles as an epic. So if you went to the library, don't go to the history section, but rather go to the epic section. Um, what do you think about that? She applying this fiction? Uh, yes and no. She, she's saying that there is a, a deeper truth. Epics are, are meant to be myths uh, that serve as, found, as, as the foundation of a people's identity. Some of the stuff is true, some of the stuff is not true, but it doesn't matter because it's the myth that matters that tells us about who we are. You know? Well, it so, becomes problematic because if Luke's just said the truth claim from Luke chapter 1 that this is exactly what happened in an orderly account, an eyewitness, and then it's also a myth, it doesn't... Very good. So when you compare the, the entry into the book, uh, it's, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a myth. How do myths, be, how do epics begin? Think. Yeah, or or think about uh, Homer uh, in the Iliad. Sing, O Muse, the wrath of Achilles. Well, the Iliad is all about the wrath of Achilles. He's upset they took his girl, and he's not going to fight with his friends, and then he's going to come back and so on. But anyways, sing, O Muse. You ask for help from the Muse. Sing, o, help me, Muse. Inspire me. Uh, and in the same the same thing for. But that's not what you find in the Book of Acts. It's a much more earthy. Uh, scientific sort of, uh, of entry. Hey, what I have investigated, and I'm going to do that too. Here's the second, and what I think is the mortal blow to <clears throat> otherwise helpful uh, suggestion by Marianne Bonds is that epic is written in meter. Okay, So epic is written not in prose. It's, it's, a, it's an exalted genre, epic. And so you need a corresponding exalted way of writing, and that is a meter. <clears throat> Acts is not meter. Acts is just plain, sometimes boring prose. So I think we can learn a lot from her proposal. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think we can learn, uh, for example, that Acts could serve as a foundational document f to help the Christians understand their identity, but I don't think it is actually... Uh, uh, Epic. Well, let's see. Until what time do we have? I don't know. I get on now. <laughs> 10.50. 10.50. So that's it. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Let me just let me look at one more, and then we'll pick it up here again. Uh, we're going to be behind. Okay. One more proposal that is being made is that Acts is an ancient, uh, an ancient novel. So one of the things that, uh, one of the genres that, 
is so popular today is the historical genre. Uh, I think we all love the historical genre because we learn something about the past while at the same time being entertained because we know that some of it is not true. It's, it's, it's a novel. Uh, and then with the discovery of the, of the ancient novel, many scholars have gone back and tried to see if in the ancient world there was such a thing as a novel. And it, there was. In the ancient world, you had a, you had a novel. Uh, and uh, it's similar to Acts. Uh, a lot of it happens in the, in the sort of Middle East, which from a Roman perspective would be considered an exotic location. You know, over there in the east. Uh, you have uh, uh, ships, uh, voyages in the Mediterranean. What do you find at the end of the book of Acts? You find Paul voyaging to Rome and shipwrecking and all that. You have that. <coughs> you have people giving speeches and all that. You also have that in the novel. The main difference is this. The ancient novel was about eros, about love. And at the beginning of the novel, the author says, Eros! God of love, inspire me to write about you. And usually it's about a, a girl who gets stolen by pirates. They're fun, actually. Uh, a girl who gets stolen by pirates, and then the lover goes uh, in a ship all around the Mediterranean looking for his, for his girl, and then he finally finds her, and they come back together, and it's a happy ending. Uh, Acts is not like that. <laughs> so while, while it looks like a novel, and we can learn many things about it, I don't think it's a novel. I think the best way to think of Acts is number four in your hand, and I'll stop there. We should think about it as an example of the old, te of an, as an example of a, like an Old Testament history book, First Samuel, Second Samuel, like that, but written uh, in Greek, of course, and written uh, with topoi and themes that would have interested Greeks as well. So we have to stop there. We'll, we'll pick it up again on uh, on uh, next Sunday, God willing. Yeah. Thanks. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.